Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we'll begin our travel series with a trip to Ireland. We'll talk about romantic comedy tropes in a film that's loaded with them. And discuss the rarity of women proposing to men as we look at the Amy Adams romantic comedy, Leap Year. Hey, Sophia. Hey, Jen. How's it so, going? I'm going pretty good today. How about yourself? Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> so we're coming up on St. Patrick's Day this week. And I was wondering, like, do you do anything to celebrate that holiday? Or is it a part of your life? Well, a little bit. Um, I'm not Irish. I wish I was for a long time. I'm like, I, that's my adopted nationality. I just, I love Irish music and mythology and folklore in Ireland, I think is beautiful. And so sometimes I'll make Irish soda bread and watch The Quiet Man. That's about it. I don't know if I've been to any like parade. I'm not so big on parades, Hmm. like mass groups of people. Oh, I'll tell you what, though, when I lived in New York and I was working in a building that was, you know, many stories or whatever. The St. Patrick's Day Parade, obviously, in New York City, bagpipe players and like the marching bands and all that kind of gathered off to the side streets before they got ready for the parade. And they were like bagpipers out the window one time. That was fun. So I'm like, there you go. I got a taste of the parade. And that's it. You know, what about you? Anything? Um, Actually, when you mention parades, it actually does make me think of um, I used to visit my Uncle Mike and Aunt Kate in Baltimore, Maryland, and they have a really good St. Patrick's Day parade in Baltimore. And I actually do like parades. So I think to the extent I've ever celebrated St. Patrick's Day, it would be going to those parades in Baltimore. And like when I was a kid, you know, they always had like the Shamrock Shake at McDonald's. Very authentic. (laughs) Shamrock (laughs) Shake, baby. (laughs) Yep. That made you Irish. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But it's never been like a super favorite holiday of mine. And it's partly because it's like really associated with drinking. And I'm just not a big drinker. So totally. I remember now, you know, thinking about and talking about it when I would go to work on St. Patrick's Day in New York City. I mean, it was, you know, schlepping a couple blocks to the office and pubs and people were already drinking at, you know, eight in the morning, eight thirty in the morning. And it was like, yeah, have a good day. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to be talking a lot about Ireland today, so that's why we're um, also talking about St. Patrick's Day and sort of our associations with Ireland. And before we get into talking about Leap Year, uh, I'd just like to remind everyone that you can find the podcast on our website at everyromcom.com. You can send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And we're also on social media. Our Facebook is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at everyromcom, and our Twitter handle is at everyromcompod. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And we have some great episodes coming up in our travel series. Next week, we'll be releasing our episode on how Stella got her groove back, featuring a special guest, Serena Young, who lives and works in the Virgin Islands. 
And in the following weeks, we'll be covering some other great travel rom-com favorites, including Roman Holiday, Crazy Rich Asians, Romancing the Stone, and more. And just a final reminder that our show features a spoiler-free section at the beginning, and we'll give you a heads up when we start the spoiler section. And now, let's get a taste of the trailer for today's movie, Leap Year. Get ready to lose your mind! Guess who I saw walking out of the store carrying that little red bag? Oh my god. So this is for you. Okay, hold on. We gotta work on your surprise face. Ask me, ask me. Will you marry me? (gasps) Bigger eyes? Oh, me? The good news is you have time to practice between now and then. (laughs) They're earrings. Yeah, a little something to keep your ears warm while I'm in Dublin. It is leap year, you know, in Ireland. A woman can propose to a man on the 29th of February. Dad, I'm not going to Dublin. Ladies and gentlemen, we are diverting to Cardiff, Wales. Wales? Hello. I need a taxi to Dublin. I'm your man, missus. I'll drive you to Dublin. Thank you. I'm going to propose to my boyfriend on leap day. Yeah? Yeah. So I thought... Woo! Woo! (laughs) That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) This year... Let's move. Comes as a real shock to find out that you speak fluent cow. The girl who's always in control. <laughs> will find out what happens. You fried my blackberry. You fried the whole village. When you lose it. Stop. Wait. Stop it. The cow. So that's actually like that was the best audio I could find for a trailer. And it seems a little off and it was very weirdly edited. But that's the best trailer I could find for Leap Year. But I think it still gives a good it still gives a good idea, I think, of the plot. Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. That's about it. A lot so, of mishaps one after the other. So yeah, Leap Year came out in 2010. It was directed by Anand Tucker and written by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. And yeah, the basic plot is Anna is the main character, played by Amy Adams. She's a bit of a control freak, and she stages apartments for a living, so gets them ready for the realtors to show. And she's expecting her longtime boyfriend, Jeremy, to propose to her, since they've been like looking at this really exclusive apartment together. But instead of proposing, Jeremy gives her expensive earrings, and then he runs back to his job as a cardiologist. So Anna decides she's going to take advantage of an Irish tradition and follow Jeremy to a medical conference in Dublin and propose to him on leap day, because apparently that's when it's okay for a woman to propose to a man. And then Anna's travel plans are derailed again and again by bad weather at first, and she ends up in this rural area of Ireland where she meets Declan, who's the owner of a small pub and inn. And because Declan is in a lot of debt, she manages to convince him to take her to Dublin for a fee. And they embark on a journey... And of course, the journey involves many unplanned delays and, as Sophia said, mishaps. So, Sophia, what did you, what's your general opinion of the movie before we get going? Okay. Well, it was on Netflix at one point and it had been on Netflix for ages. And I'm like, I should give this a shot. I should give it a shot. Why wouldn't I give this fun, easy breezy rom com a shot? Finally, I did. And I think I turned it off after about 20 minutes. I'm like, "Mm, uh, not my type of rom com. So, here we, chose it for our show and and I watched the whole thing and it's still not my favorite kind of rock. <laughs> <laughs> um there there are some moments that are all right like the redeeming things like hey 
beautiful Irish countryside, like the scenery and such. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy Adams has cute clothes, but um, that also bothers me in the story. Mm-hmm. And um, well, that was also actually all filmed in Ireland. Even the scene there, the apartment that they're looking at, the fancy schmancy apartment, that's filmed in Ireland. That wasn't mm. in Boston. So I like that. I'm like, way to go, way to film everything in Ireland. That's it. What about you? So for me, like I kind of had a journey with the film where when I first saw it, and I think I even saw it in a movie theater, I really liked it. And then I saw it again and I kind of liked it still. And then we did it for the podcast. And after watching it more times, it's kind of been one of those movies that's kind of disintegrated in my fingers a little bit, you know, <laughs> like some some movies you can keep watching them and they just grow richer and deeper and you mm-hmm. find more to love about them. Mm-hmm. And this movie was kind of the opposite of that. It was like upon examination, it fell apart a bit for me. But I agree with you that the Irish scenery is a real, you know, selling point. And I actually I like both of these actors, but. Yeah. Amy Adams, it's weird. Like Amy Adams, I think I like less the more I watch her performances. But mm. Matthew Good has grown on me. Like okay. I didn't because like I didn't even realize I'd seen him in so many other things, but I had. And that to me, that's kind of a mark of a good actor because he's disappearing into mm. some of these roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm with you on both counts. I like I think Amy Adams is a spectacular actor, but I this part just uh you know, was beneath her caliber. There you go. <laughs> That's how it was. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the creators of the film. Um, Sophia, can you tell us about sure. the director? Yeah. So uh, our director is Anand Tucker, who also directed Hillary and Jackie, Shop Girl, and other features in TV episodes, and other work as a producer, including Girl with the Pearl Earring. And um, the writers are Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont, and I was very interested to find out about them. They are writing partners, but they are not you know, married or anything. They're just writing partners. They met each other at NYU Film School, and they wrote and directed together several movies, including Can't Hardly Wait, which I know we both really like. So. Yeah, that blew my mind. I saw that. I was like, what? Yeah, it's a very dissimilar movie, too, so it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they also did Josie and the Pussycats, which I have not seen as writers and directors. And then they also wrote together, um, sometimes with some additional writers, Maid of Honor, Surviving Christmas, a very Brady sequel, which I love, (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of other smaller like TV and film projects together. And then there's the delightful Amy Adams, who, upon doing research for her, found out that she started doing dinner theater. Like that was kind of her thing. She studied dance and singing and she worked at, it's probably the dinner theater in Chanhassen, Minnesota. That just Hmm. warms my heart. Yes. So musical theater work she did between 94 and 98. Um, Her first feature film was dropped at gorgeous in 99 And then she moved to L.A., got a role in TV, a TV show called Manchester Prep, a spinoff of Cruel Intentions as the lead role of Catherine, which was played by Sarah Michelle Gellar in the movie. Uh, But it got canceled and uh, was later turned into a direct-to-video Cruel Intentions 2. And I need to see that now. I need to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Her first big break was in Catch Me If You Can. And I think that's where I definitely first saw her. And Mm. we we love that film and um, think she's excellent. Um, But then she didn't work for a year after that and considered quitting acting. So glad she didn't. 
She got critical acclaim in the breakout role uh, in Junebug in 2005 and received her first Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Many to follow after that. And she is known for Enchanted. Did you see it? Enchanted? Oh, yeah. Of course it's seen So Enchanted. much fun. Yeah. Uh, Doubt, which we've talked about before, um, written by John Patrick Shanley. And that was in 2008. Uh, next, she did Julie and Julia in 2009. Man of Steel in 2013 and began her work as Lois Lane and reprised it in Batman versus Superman and Justice League. Have you watched any of those? Um, I saw Man of Steel. I kind of like that one. And I'll probably end up watching the other ones eventually because my husband loves comic book movies. But we're more Marvel people. so uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and American Hustle uh, in 2013, Arrival in 2016, and Vice in 2018. She won Golden Globe Awards for Best Actress for American Hustle and Big Eyes uh, by Danny Elfman. Yeah. And most recently, Hillbilly Elegy, now streaming on Netflix. And upcoming, Zack Snyder's Justice League, The Woman in the Window. Ooh, I watched that trailer. And it's one of those like psychological intense thrillers. Hmm. Ooh. And Dear Evan Hansen, which I'm so excited about. And Disenchanted, sequel to Enchanted. There's a I'm really interested in that. Really yes. interested. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, Disenchanted, I'm wondering if it's <laughs> going to go like a into the woods kind of, this is what happens after Happily Ever After. And it's, I don't know, that'd be a little depressing. <laughs> but um, I'm excited as well. Yeah. Okay. And then the other main actor in the movie is Matthew Good, who plays Declan, the Irish pub owner. And he's actually an English actor, not Irish. Um, he publicly criticized Leap Year, so he was not a fan. He said, I just know that there are a lot of people who will say it is the worst film of 2010. <laughs> and he criticized the script, um, pop music in the movie. Um, he said he took the job because of the paycheck and because filming was close to home. And he compared it kind of unfavorably to his earlier film, Chasing Liberty, which I will tell more about as we go on. Yeah, so he also told Oprah.com in an interview that he is more cynical than his character Declan. And his character Declan is pretty cynical. So Yeah. Yeah. But he actually is married, you know, with a kid, at least one kid. I didn't look into his whole family situation, but yeah, he's not a, a total Grinch about love or anything. So he's also known for Chasing Liberty with Mandy Moore from 2004. And I actually went and watched that um, while I was doing research for the film. And I thought it was a lovely movie, so I don't know why he's... <laughs> Why he's being negative, but it does bear a lot of similarities to Leap Year, which I'll mention later. Um, he was also in the rom-com Imagine Me and You in 2005, although I don't believe he plays a romantic lead in that, if I understand the plot correctly. He was in Watchmen in 2009, a single man with Colin Firth in 2009 also, mm -hmm. and he plays Colin Firth's lover in that one. Mm -hmm. um, Stoker in 2013, directed by Park Chanuk, and that's a great movie. And he played Wickham in the TV miniseries Death Comes to Pemberley in 2013 as well. I don't know if you've seen that, Sophia, but that mm -mm. I think you would dig it. Um, yeah, I yeah. think so, too. And he was in The Imitation Game in 2014. He appeared in The Good Wife from 2014 to 2015. And he played Henry Talbot in Downton Abbey, both the TV series and the movie. And currently he's doing a show called Dis A Discovery of Witches, which sounds super interesting. He plays a vampire who is collaborating with a witch on that show. And his, some of his forthcoming work will be the King's man, which is part of the King's man series, silent night, which is some type of Christmas movie and medieval with Michael Caine was in the cast for that. So that caught my eye. 
but I, I was impressed that like he's been in such a variety of work and I hadn't picked out where I knew him from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I had to go back and figure out who he was in a single man. I'm like, oh, okay. He was the boyfriend and he was really great. So yeah, he disappeared and that's kind of groovy. Um, our next actor is Adam Scott. He played Jeremy opposite uh, Amy Adams. Uh, he plays her boyfriend, longtime boyfriend, want to get married. Um, he's best known for Step Brothers, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Friends with Kids, and Torque. And then um, lots of TV dating back uh, to 1998 in Party of Five, Parks and Rec, Wet Hot American Summer. Ten years later, he replaced Bradley Cooper. Um, he also did The Good Place and Big Little Lies. I think he's one of those that pops up everywhere. He's like, oh, I've seen him. Oh, yeah. from that. Oh, from yeah. that. Because he has tons of credits. Yeah. My 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 biggest association with him is definitely Parks and Rec. But he was also. I really also liked his role in Big Little Lies. Next, we have a rather brief appearance by John Lithgow. Uh, he plays Anna's dad in a very short scene. And the role, I think, essentially functions to uh, bring up the leap year um, proposal premise that's like at the root of the entire movie. Because he's like, oh, your grandma Jane asked your grandpa, I think it was Grandpa Tom, like to marry him because he was taking too long (laughs) or to marry her because he was taking too long. So he's like basically there to set up a plot, essentially, and to show that Anna has kind of an irresponsible kind of wild dad. And John Lithgow, like, I always think of him as the reverend in Footloose. Like, that is his, like, forever thing for me. <laughs> but, sure. um, he's, yeah, but he's also from Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, he recently played Roger Ailes in Bombshell. He's done a ton of work. He he always seems like he pops up everywhere to me, too. One of those two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jen, in the research, you found out some scathing things. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, what did the Irish people think of <laughs> Leap Year? So, yeah, um, I was just kind of doing research on Leap Year when I came across Irish people's opinion on it in different Irish newspapers. So for a start, IrishCentral.com had this to say, Leap Year, with its horrible Irish accents and play on stereotypes, has to be one of the most cringe-inducing movies about Ireland ever made. So that's first. Then, this one's even worse. So Donald Clark, writing in the Irish Times... This is what he says about Anna's trip to Ireland. Does she encounter top software engineers, talented travel writers, acclaimed architects, and celebrated electronic composers? She does not. Is she diverted by the increasingly multicultural nature of the new Ireland? Not a bit of it. She gets stuck behind cows. She listens to endless superstitious gibberings from elderly Cretans leaning on dry stone walls. She hooks up with a bizarrely accented publican and allows him to work through all the most pungent cliches concerning the lovable Irish rogue. The film is offensive, reactionary, patronizing filth. Hollywood is incapable of seeing the Irish as anything but IRA men or twinkly rural imbeciles. And like, I I honestly, like, when I thought about that, though, I was like, yeah, like, he's kind of onto something there. Because when I was thinking about, like, the Hollywood movies I've seen about Ireland, it really does seem to fall into, like, like magical leprechaun stuff and like, or, you know, IRA suffering, like bombs and people in jail and stuff like that. How about you? Like, or have you seen a lot of Irish films that are more authentic? I don't know. I, I put them down. Actually, there's a ton. 
Um, and it was hard for me to say like what to do for like a double feature because there are just so many. But you know what? I I, I think you're right. Every, even if it's like quote unquote authentic Irish story, usually people are kind of on hard times, you know, or just just making it. And um, like, where's just the person that goes to work? And like, I don't I don't know, maybe those two yeah. themes. That's it. Somebody it's- tell us different. It's like they're ta- they're stuck in the mystical past or like there's like some serious shit going on. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, um yeah, th- some of the other th- some of the general comments I saw from Irish people about the movie, they were a lot of people were upset that an Irishman was played by an Englishman. A lot of people were really concerned that well, because they didn't like his accent either. They thought he did a really poor accent for it. So, you know, people are picky about these things. And it shows Ireland is lacking infrastructure and having poorly maintained roads and lack of public transportation, which, yeah, that was kind of ridiculous because uh, there is there are buses and trains on Sundays, like as opposed to what the movie claims. And if they were actually in Dingle, which they claim to be in Dingle, but it's not shot there. But if they were actually in Dingle, there are actually, you know, buses out of Dingle. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like she would have had to, you know, get into this weird car. And uh, like they were also complained about like, stereotypical phrases like top of the morning and just like the, you know, the drunken locals. Um, they said the clada ring is not actually like a super, as super important as it's made to be in the movie mm. and just bad geography. Oh my gosh. I was laughing so much when I actually checked the map. So for example, at one point, Anna is a, is in a boat in a storm, which is supposed to be coming from Wales and going to Cork, but it gets diverted to Dingle. And this makes no sense because Dingle is like, much farther away and on the other side of the country from Wales. So like, it makes <laughs> yeah. no sense at all. It's really weird. Like, I don't know why the script writers did this or whoever made this decision did this because like, it seems like a simple matter to just look at a map and just pick like, well, that seems like a good place. Right. And, and there's another part where there's these B and B owners that live in Tipperary supposedly, but they go to shop in Dublin every week and it's like very far away. And there are much closer places you could go to shop, even perhaps Tipperary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, when you put it like that, yes, I, that is all very questionable. Why make those choices and why not check those things? Because I would, I was going to argue like, you know, I've seen films where like, I do know the area where like Mm -hmm. one second they're on that side of the city and then they're off to the other side as if it weren't like 20 blocks away or you know yeah do you know what i'm saying where scripts and editing take those liberties yeah. and sometimes you have seems to. to care um but that's pretty bad <laughs> that's kind of yeah a bummer and like where's your where's your integrity in that you know <laughs> i mean Sometimes you have to take those liberties for sure. And like, but I find that like, if you can choose to be a little more authentic, do that or just make up, you know, fictional places like in the half of it where they made up the town in Washington that seemed right. plausible. Yeah. Right. But wasn't a real town. Yeah. Anyway, did you want to talk anything more about Ireland or the Irish people in the film? Um, yeah, I felt like just the, the townspeople were just there for some comic relief there was no real development in those characters or anything everybody that they saw or spent time with was just um throwaways i think yeah yeah I feel um, that. 
So another big pillar of this movie is the leap year proposal tradition. And I looked into that too, because I was like, well, you know, this movie made up stuff about geography. Maybe this isn't a thing either. But in fact, it is a real tradition, according to irishcentral.com and many other sources. And it began in the fifth century Ireland. Uh, The legend is that St. Bridget of Kildare uh, complained to St. Patrick that suitors took too long to propose to women. So St. Patrick proclaimed that women could have this one day to propose. And yeah. I'm gonna stop right there. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing ever. That's really because I don't think they were around at the same time, were they? Those uh, two yeah. saints? <laughs> it's, a, it's a legend. They, I guess they over, their lifespans overlapped a little bit, but it's, it's okay. a legend. Yeah. Okay. But um, that's a legend, and it says the tradition was then taken to Scotland by Irish monks, and the Scottish actually made a law in 1288, which allowed women to propose on that day, and put a fine on men who declined. So the fine could be just like a kiss, or it could be payment for a silk dress or gloves. Hmm. And the fine uh, tradition might be based on another like legend where St. Bridget proposed to St. Patrick and he offered her a kiss and a silk gown when he rejected her. So like that, yeah, that probably isn't true. A lot of this probably isn't true, but that's how the legend came down. Okay. And um, just looking at how this tradition is actually regarded, though, Catherine Parkin, who is an associate professor of history at Monmouth University, she said that leap year proposals by women were kind of mocked all during the 20th century. And the women were stereotyped in different media and cards and so forth as aggressive, desperate, and unattractive. So, yeah, despite the tradition being a thing, it wasn't necessarily a thing that was treated kindly. Mm. I could see why. I mean, well, I guess we'll get into this a little bit later, like our thoughts about women proposing to men. But so it's like there's this language of like they were allowed to, Mm. you know. um, Yeah. So I guess if you didn't have any other means to make a proposal, like then this day, what once every four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. So, yeah. Then I looked into like, then I tried to find some statistics as to whether like how many women do propose marriage, not necessarily, you know, on leap day or whatever, but just in general. And let's see, according to CBS news in 2014, women proposed in only 5% of heterosexual couples. So that's a very small number. Mm-hmm. But um, there seems to be sort of the idea of it, that this could be an acceptable thing, though. So according to a 2015 survey of 500 men by Glamour magazine, 70% of men would be happy if a woman proposed to them. But weirdly, like the same survey, 63% of the men preferred to be the one to propose, but they would be happy, 70, 70% would be happy if the woman proposed. So yeah, so it's not like you're going to get these days. I don't think you're going to get mocked the same way. Right. But weird, weirdly, this is super weird. Younger people apparently are more likely to think it is wrong for a woman to propose than older people. So like one third of younger people think that women shouldn't propose according to a 2014 Associated Press WETV poll. And that's wild. And the number of couples who are getting engaged by mutual agreement apparently has also been dropping in younger people. So where you're just like, oh, you think we should get married? Yeah, yeah, let's get married. Like that has been dropping too. So it's like younger people apparently, according to this 2014 poll, are becoming more sort of conservative in their views. So So wait a minute, like 
just like you said, hey, you want to get married? Yeah, let's get married. You know, this mutual agreement. Like, what are they waiting and not saying anything? Like, I want to get married and just hoping somebody, their their boyfriend proposes. You see, this, you see this all the time in movies. Yeah, I think that like there are girls, women who do that. Yeah, it's and, and you know, some people would be loath, I think, to mention uh, marriage. They would think it was unromantic for some reason. So, geez, my you know I have. My mom, she's a pretty practical lady, and um, and she says it too. She's like, come on. If you've been together four years, you're trying to tell me you've never talked about marriage, uh-huh. you know? And even – and I think she's right. So when I watch these things, I'm like, what? You've never looked at rings before? You've never talked about it? But apparently not. I'm shocked. Jennifer, yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> So, like, I I guess, like, if you feel, like, comfortable sharing about it, did you and Greg then also, like, did you talk about getting married before you got married? Like, yeah. Or was it a surprise? Immediately. It was, well, it was a little weird, actually, in that when we were just on the phone talking, like, do you, do you want to get together? Do you want to even, like, date or whatever, go forward like this? He said the strangest thing, and he doesn't even know why he said it, he says. He goes, and if this doesn't end in marriage, it's not like you failed or something. And it was actually a great relief to me. And I don't know if that's coming from our, like, kind of evangelically background or I don't know where, but it was a relief. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. Good. All right. Like, there wasn't a major pressure. And yet, like three days later, I was making my bed and I was like, well, if this doesn't work out, like I was thinking about it in my head, I'm like, well, who am I kidding? I totally want this to work out. I totally want to marry him. And I brought it up. I said, okay, I know, I mean, it'd been like a couple weeks, maybe like 10 days into our boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. I'm like, I don't want to bring up marriage again, but I guess I had something I wanted to say. And he's like, Sophia, I want to marry you. I'm like, I know Mm. I want to marry you too. And so that was it. And um, we made plans from there. And so it was literally like two weeks into our relationship. So that part was quick, but you said that you known each other longer, right? Like we did. I mean, we knew. So if we were 25 and 24, when we had that conversation and we had known each other since we were 18 and 19. So all go. through college and then over the years, keeping in touch. Yeah. Um, but it was different. I mean, immensely different because we hadn't seen each other for three years, kept in touch. Um, and then he's back in my life and for about four months and la la married. <laughs> and, yours, and yours was kind of like a mutual agreement then it sounds like more or less. Yes. More or less. Yes. But he's, he brought it up first, though? Sort of. And okay. like, sort of. And to this day, I'm like, why did you say that? He's like, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But we mutually agreed we wanted to get married. And then like, that was it for me. I was fine with that. But he wanted to do a proposal, a get yeah. down on the knee and something special. So um, that came like a month later. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And that was sweet. And it was it became like a... We celebrated that anniversary, the engagement anniversary, more than we did like our wedding anniversary for a while. So, so it was like from that, it was like six months before we got from saying we're going to get married to actually getting married. 
Well, I'm a super advocate of women proposing to men because I actually did propose to Lee, like, like not in a super grand gesture way, but just in a casual way. But Uh I proposed to him like probably three or four times before, like, before we came to the mutual agreement phase, because like, I pretty much knew I wanted to be with Lee about a week into knowing him. Uh But I'd known him online for a little longer on live journal. But like, yeah, about a week into knowing him, I was like, yeah, yeah, like, I want to be with this guy. But um. Yeah, I would kind of ask him and just be like, oh, yeah. And he'd be like, well, I'm I'm not ready to make a commitment. So, but I kept, I was persistent. And then eventually, eventually, I think we came to a mutual agreement. After he'd gone to Korea and come back, we came to a mutual agreement. And then he did propose to me, but again, it wasn't like some super grand thing. So, yeah, I guess I proposed marriage, but not like in some spectacular way, like flying to another country or something like that. Right. Yeah. I think I didn't watch Sex in the City like religiously, like it wasn't the thing. But there's that scene where um, I don't even know their names. I know all their names. Which one are you talking about? Sarah Jessica Parker and um, John Corbett or who? No, I'm talking about the redhead. She Miranda not, and Steve. Steve Miranda, Miranda and Steve. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they have a relationship. They have a kid, and he wanted to get married, and she did. And they're sitting at the table, and she's like will you marry me? You know? Um, And then I really appreciated later on when she's like trying to get an outfit for the wedding and, and the sales lady is like, Oh, we have all these, you know, bridal gowns. And she's like, the jig is up. (laughs) We have a child together. I don't need a white dress. I don't need that. And yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. that. That's a great reference. That feels, um, you know, Authentic? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. Authentic. Yeah. Miranda's always the best on that show. I did watch Sex and the City religiously. I didn't like the movies, but I loved the show. And like, okay. I once was like at a bar, this is kind of a tangent, but I was once at a bar with a Sex and the City trivia game. I literally knew every answer to the questions except one. Did you okay. get the trophy? Did you win the prize? No, no, no. It was just like a trivia oh. game they had sitting on a table that you could oh. kill time with. It <laughs> okay. wasn't like that. I wish, man, I would have gotten the prize. Anyway. Cleaned up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's a great reference. Um, There's definitely been some more examples in recent media of women taking an active role in proposing. And that's great. But it's it's kind of a shame that younger people are reverting, or at least as of 2014, they were reverting to these kind of older ways. I just I don't love that. I think mutual agreement is great, too, because then you both know you're on the same page. For sure. Um, Yeah. Why does it have to be more romantic if, like, you didn't plan it? I, I don't understand that. Like, anyway. I don't know. Yeah, same. Same. Not sure. Or, or wondering the whole time. And to me, that seems like a waste. Like, if you don't know, yeah, if you're not on the same page. And, um, you know, what a what a shame. And I'm just surprised. Yeah, me too. Okay, so next we're going to talk about uh, the tropes in this film. And we're also, while we do that, we'll talk about kind of the plot of the film as we go. Uh, When we get to a point where it's kind of, we don't want to spoil you, where, you know, the action gets a little more complicated, we'll give you a spoiler warning. But just like, this movie is so full of tropes, and I don't know a better way than to just go through the story and just point them out to to you all. So, So first of all, the movie opens with our expected what marriage proposal gone awry trope, which I can't remember the other things I've seen this in, but I've definitely seen it in other things, right? Like yeah. her, her girlfriend comes to her like at a store and she's trying on a dress and she's like, I saw your boyfriend with a bag from the wedding store or from the jewelry store or whatever. And she's all excited. And like, yeah, she goes to this dinner 
And then it's like a big nothing. It's just like he gives her a box with like earrings in it. And like, I'm just like, could he really be that dense? Because he'd also like said that like he was it was a special surprise at dinner and she's going to like it. Is anybody actually that dense that they would yes. think that the woman <laughs> wouldn't think yes. that they were proposing? Yes, I have. We have friends. I'm, I what? won't say their names. I will protect their their what have you. But he kind of built up a gift. He's like, it's going to be something special. And she was thinking it was, you know, he was going to propose low. It was, I think, golf clubs, a set of golf clubs. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oops. Yeah, and, in, and in this movie, too, it's like they're about to get a buy an apartment together. So it's even more like you would think, of course, he's going to propose. We're about to buy this apartment together. So it's really, really wild. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it does happen. Okay. So then we've got um, the character herself is a bit of a trope. Um, Amy Adams' character is got the control freak trope going on in this movie. So like the first opening montage, she's like obsessively cleaning things. She slaps somebody's feet down who's put their feet up. I couldn't really understand like why she was allowed Same. to tell that person to put their feet down. I'm like, does he work for her? Like what, yeah. what's Same. going on? Here? Yeah. It was like the workers outside and he, uh, of this apartment that she's going to show. And so she slaps his feet down from where he's got them propped up on what, like a garbage can or something. And it's yeah. like, yeah. Does he work for you? Do you No, I think he was just somebody outside the apartment that a prospective clients. And yeah, she didn't want weird. that appearance outside. Yeah, oh, of, there you go. There you go. You've, you've, you put the nail on the head there, I think. Yeah. that's. I guess that's fine. But that's still like, you don't know that guy. You can't yeah, do yeah. that. <laughs> like, I know. Tell I, someone. <laughs> at least I'm glad I understand her motivation now. <laughs> and then her job as staging apartments. So she makes them look pretty and lived in for people who are doing tours, like with real estate agents. And she tells, um, she really telegraphs her character. She tells the real estate agent when she comes in to stage the apartment, don't worry, I have everything under control. And I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> there you go. So, but the, weirdly they combine in this movie, the control freak trope and the fish out of water trope in the same movie. So in Boston, where she's from, she's the control freak. She's in charge of her job, whatever. But then she flies to Ireland to do this proposal. And all of a sudden, she's the fish out of water trope. She's the American abroad who doesn't understand anything, um, isn't prepared like for anything, seemingly. I, it, to me, those are mismatched tropes because like, I feel like a mm. control freak would have a travel guide to Ireland. They know a few phrases. They'd know to pack like reasonable shoes and a coat. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So when I first watched this and then turned it off and didn't finish it, I was thinking about that for her character because she finally gets this room at this inn and she is desperate to plug in her phone to charge mm. it. Now, I think I understood her to have um, an international charger. Maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, she has to pull the bed out. And as she's doing it, like the curtain falls and then the wardrobe falls and like everything is falling down around her. And yet she continues. I'm like, so she's not like a flighty, like on a whim, I will go and chase my my fancies. She's determined and she's focused and doesn't care that furniture is falling down around her. She's going to plug in her phone. Hmm. Some. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep going. Because I was trying to like justify why the hell she wouldn't be embarrassed or sad or like, yeah. or, and like, oops, I better clean that up before I try to get my phone plugged in. 
Like, yeah. wouldn't you do that if you dropped something oh, in yeah, the hotel yeah. room? You'd be like, oh, God. And <laughs> But I, I would have thought she would have packed better as well. Yeah. Clothes. Yeah. Personally, I don't understand. I mean, we can just pause for a minute here. When you travel, do you, like – wear your nicest clothes like your no, heels and no, your no, how do you dress no. when you travel i wear the most sensible shoes like possible that are comfortable and mm-hmm. like pants with pockets and mm-hmm. like several layers on top like mm-hmm. yeah yeah no and like i like you know do go to ricksteves.com or whatever and like yeah. look up his travel suggestion lists and like i'm like very controlled about travel like i always have itineraries i always like know phrases i always like know like the things you should pack and what the weather's going to be oh my mm-hmm. god yeah <laughs> i like, guess we can say she was in a rush like she made the decision got the flight and went right yeah but yeah but still like no sneakers no hiking boots nothing like maybe she doesn't own them i don't know <laughs> gotta have sneakers of course she goes to the gym right yeah, like her character yeah, yeah, goes yeah. to the gym um really weird weird yeah weird agreed so then we have the um, the next trope is the impossible delayed journey trope, which you see not just in rom-coms, but all kinds of comedies. So she takes a plane, which gets diverted to Wales, and then she takes a bus to a ferry terminal, and the ferries aren't running, so she has to get her own boat. And then the boat has gets diverted to some place that makes no sense, as we mentioned before, and she ends up in the wrong town. And then she gets in a car with Declan, and the car, of course, gets wrecked because, of course, the car gets wrecked. And then eventually she try- they try to take a train, but they miss it. And I don't even remember. At that point, it gets a little hazy. Like, And I, I don't actually remember what happened to the car either. Like, do you remember what happened to Declan's car? Like- yes. So I would also add this. We didn't put it in here, but I would. Oh, we did. The animals in the road, car rolling down the hill and gets wrecked. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's how what- it gets wrecked. Uh-huh. Yeah. It rolls down the hill in like a pond. Yeah. But then what happens to, cause he gets the car back eventually. So like, was it left in that pond for like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Good question. Anyway, <laughs> that's another trope we've got in this movie. Um, so before they get, go off on their journey though, they manage to sneak in the um, walking in on someone half dressed trope. So Amy Adams is staying at uh, Declan's Inn overnight before they take their journey um, in the car and uh, he comes in to announce that he will, you know, drive her to Dublin because he needs the money. And he like he walks in on her basically with like a, maybe a perfunctory knock. I don't even know if he knocks, but she's like in her bra and underwear. And I'm like, really? Like, this seems kind of antisocial behavior. Right. And But that gives you that trope of like, ooh, he saw her without her clothes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And later they do another similar one, seeing someone's silhouette through like a screen, which in this case is a shower at an inn. Like, oh, so many movies have that trope. <laughs> it's impressive that and, they got both of them in. And, you know, like, why bother with it? Because he's already seen her naked, like in her underwear. Uh, that's a good point. That's good a good point. point. So and it's interesting about that because he's he walks in and her in the underwear and he doesn't even like acknowledge it. So mm. are we happy that he looks her straight in the eye or would it have played better if he like looked her up and down and checked her out and maybe had an awkward like hot bod moment? Like what was the. Yeah, I don't know what work this is supposed to be doing. It's just showing he's indifferent to her charms or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or that he's uncouth. Is it an el- evidence of his uncouthness? I don't know. I, I don't know either. Yeah. Mystery. Yeah. Someone watch and tell us what you think. <laughs> I'm serious. I'd love to know someone's <laughs> thoughts. 
And then of course we have the paying somebody to guide you somewhere trope. And that like really reminds me of Romance in the Stone, which is a much better movie. Um, but yeah, like the getting lost and then you're paying some kind of rough guy to guide you to where you need to get to go. A rough and guy. Then, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, kind of surly yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then like the other trope that really reminds me of Romancing the Stone is she has those expensive, ridiculous shoes. So like she mentions at one point that they're $600 shoes and she steps in some cow poop and, and he, and Declan goes to her, throw them in the wash. They'll be grand. Like in his bad Irish accent, which mine is probably much worse. And it really parallels this scene in Romancing the Stone for me, where like Joan Wilder's walking behind uh, Jack She's walking behind him and she can't really walk in these heels. And so he takes her heels and he cuts the the, the heel part off of them. And, and Joan Wilder's like, those were Italian. And he goes, now they're practical. <laughs> it's just, it just yeah. really reminded me of that. Like, that's such a parallel to like have these ridiculous shoes. But like in Romance in the Stone, those shoes were dealt with. Whereas like Amy Adams is like wearing heels like this entire freaking movie. Uh, I can't. It kills me. I'm like, please. Please. She, yeah, it's so bad. They're open toed as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're open toed in the beginning too. In Boston, they show actual icicles and she's wearing <laughs> open toed shoes. There are icicles in the frame and she's in open toed shoes. Yeah. I want to know how much have you ever spent on shoes? Um, I don't know. Not probably like 200, but they were like practical shoes. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Like I would do that for like a serious boot. That yeah. would last for a million years and yeah. yeah. Like that kind of shoe. Exactly. That kind of shoe for sure. Yeah. But yeah. $600 for an open toed heel. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately they're much more expensive shoes than that too in the world. But yeah. It's unfathomable but, to me. Yeah. So that's like kind of playing into the trope of a woman with impractical luxury items. And that's also, she also has a Louis Vuitton suitcase, which she gets like, all attached to and like upset when he, when Declan handles it roughly and he starts calling the suitcase Louie to tease her because she's so attached to the suitcase. And yeah, I, I don't understand having a Louis Vuitton suitcase either. I guess in the movie, it's a gift from Jeremy, you know, her boyfriend, but still. The cardiologist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cause she mentions that all the time. Like that's basically it. Tell me good qualities about Jeremy. Well, he's got cardiologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, well, we we mentioned the animals in the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some cows impede their travel. Yeah. Yes. And then we have this isn't so much of a trope, but like I've seen it in some movies where like uh, people who initially appear to be helpful drive up, and Anna's fed up with Declan, and she's going to get into their van, but they turn out to be criminals and steal her suitcase. So yeah. <laughs> I've definitely seen this in other movies. And then they add another trope on where they just happen to run into the suitcase thieves. At a, at, at a pub that they walk to and Declan beats them up and there's a bar fight. So yay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you, can't have, you can't have a movie with bars and not have a fight. I don't know. Maybe you can actually, maybe you can, but maybe many you bars. can, but why would you, why not have a fight? <laughs> and he beats up three guys, takes like one hit and yeah, a rough guy. And then um, they're trying to wait for some train and they see this like scenic castle and they go walk up to the scenic castle. And like, even though apparently the train was not supposed to come for two hours and 43 minutes, uh, all of a sudden it seems like it's been like 15 or 20 and the train's there. So like Anna's like running back down the hill and then she slides in mud 
And that is another parallel to Romance in the Stone because there's a whole awesome mudslide scene that when I was a kid, I thought was like the best thing ever that happens in Romance in the Stone. Yeah. Okay. And I think, are we ready? I think we need to go into the spoilers okay section. For sure. Let's so from it. now on, we can tell you anything up into and including the end of the movie. So if you have not seen the movie and you still want to after our, like, our and the Irish public's glowing commendation of it, <laughs> please turn the podcast off now and come back later. So after they miss the train, we go right into the fake married trope. Oh, I love I love this trope, actually. This is one of my favorite tropes, actually, in romance fiction or movies. So having a situation where you have to pretend to be dating or married is always gold. Um, in this case, it's because the B&B owners of the B- only B&B they can find only take married people. So, yeah. And the same freaking thing happens in Chasing Liberty, which is Matthew Good's other you know, rom-com he did early in his career. So at the end, because they're playing fake married people, at the end, they kind of grow closer to each other. And we find out the reason that Anna is a control freak, which I did like that. I appreciated mm-hmm. that they gave her a reason. Mm-hmm. Which like that her father was super irresponsible with money and like she had to work several jobs and they lost their house. So yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciated that. Same. Yeah. And it wasn't like a flaky reason because it's Amy Adams and she delivered it so beautifully where you, you're like, uh, like it felt like the ver- a very real moment in this story full of tropes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it was all kind of silly and you're like, okay, we have some depth here. We have yeah. some reasoning. Yeah. I think this is kind of the best segment of the movie in general, because then they do a a section where they're like going to cook together and you get to see kind of like what Declan's talents are. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And they look really happy in their like kitchen montage. I mean, montages are kind of a cheap way to tell plot, but at the same time they looked really happy in that montage and I liked it. And same, it seemed like a real bonding moment. And I think she was in jeans at that point too. And I'm like, finally. Oh yes. Yeah. That damn pencil skirt and the freaking heels. Like, Good. Yes. <laughs> You're so right. That's a good observation. Like that probably changes your perception of the character considerably. Yeah. And then they've got the forced to kiss trope, which <sighs> also happens in Chasing Liberty and also because of Italian people. Okay. You're kidding me. <laughs> no, I'm not. Be- well, it's because part of Chasing Liberty actually takes place in Italy. So I like, like that moves it off the hook. That, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's just random Italians who are at this B and B, and like um, the, the Irish couple give each other like a quick kiss, and they're like, "That's the secret to being married. Forty four years, you got to kiss them every day." And then the Italian man's like, "Yes, you must. Every kiss must be like the first time and the last time." And then he super makes out with his wife at yep. the at the table. It's an older Italian man and his wife, and like. It was very passionate, but like, I feel like I might feel even a little awkward and I'm kind of all about PDA. I'm fine with PDA, but I'm like, wow, they they really went in there. They did. It was ridiculous. Like, (laughs) But then they like, they're like, oh, young man, show us now how the young people kiss their wives or whatever. And like, they're really, of course they don't want to kiss and like, but then they're kind of forced to, to keep up their ruse. And, and they end up having one of those kisses where it's like, oh, this is these two discovering that they have chemistry. Ooh. And they played it really well, I thought, mm-hmm. especially like the expression on their face after the kiss. You're like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. And then for me, they kind of ruined it by that moment by they have them doing the sharing the same bed trope. But like they ruin it, I think, where they play dream a little dream, like 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 what, by the mamas and the papas or something. Yeah. And like the music is just so tonally different than the whole preceding Irish Mm. segment and Uh like the quietude of it, that it could have been actually really sexy and romantic, like tossing and turning in bed with different music or maybe no music. 
That's my opinion. I can go with that. A different tune, a different song, a different or just kind like of scoring, like score. light romantic mm-hmm. scoring would have like to me, or, or even nothing. Just like you hear the outside insects or something, and like. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, a lot of movies like will take the sexual tension out of a scene by putting abrasive, aggressive pop music over it. Not abrasive, but just like loud, tonally sort of jangly pop music on top of it. I don't know why they do it anyway. And then um, they have in the morning, the waking up with the arm around the other person trope, a classic. Yep. <laughs> and so, yeah, Declan just has his arm over her. But and then he's all happy, it seems. But then he overhears Anna on the phone with Jeremy and she's like gushing about how she can't wait to see him and finds out that they got the apartment and yay for her, I guess, temporarily. I Okay, that really he's going to bring her a tray of like, you know, tea and an egg or something like that. Oh. Like he looked so ha- Declan is Declan do this yeah. after they are forced to share this bed together. I, I was like. I don't know. I, I was like, really, dude? I don't know. What were you thinking? I don't. What do you think? I think he was feeling it. I think they kissed and they looked at each other and then they were in bed and they were obviously into each other. I think he was feeling her. That's all. I think. Yeah, I think it could have gone somewhere had the phone call not happened. Had the phone call not happened, you think it would have gone somewhere? Yeah, I do. Okay. I wasn't sure. <laughs> So then I don't even remember like why they're like walking again. They're like walking again for some reason. And um, maybe to a bus station, who knows, but there a hailstorm starts up and um, they end up going into like a church and interrupting a wedding, like right at the part where they're going to say, I do, which this happens so much (laughs) in so many movies. And would you make a big ruckus going into a church at any time anyway, whether I know, you know, and banging then, things but, around like <laughs> and when i watched it again today like they had already gotten into the inside of the building like like they were coming in from an interior room into the church room it's like you were right. already away from the hail like, yeah you could have just stayed in that little atrium you didn't need to go into the sanctuary with the doors closed clearly something going on like, yeah yeah yep. although Pretty i did wild. enjoy the priest though he was like do you object and they're like nope no he's like well then join us sit down then you know i thought that yeah. was sweet i'm like nice priest all right (laughs) yeah and that leads directly into the going to the wedding together trope and like getting kind of misty-eyed about like you know the brides giving a toast to her husband and amy adams character anna's just sitting there being like oh i want to feel like that like in this beautiful place you know Mm -hmm. etc they go to the wedding and you do that whole thing and then there's the trope of the uh, getting coaxing somebody to dance who doesn't want to dance, which is Declan coaxes Anna to dance. And, and then they, uh, then I can't stand this part. Okay. Cause they're having a good time. They're dancing. She's having fun. She's like loosening up as it were. Right. And then all of a sudden her shoe, like this really spiky high heel, because of course like flies off and hits the bride in the middle of her head. Yeah. Which is also a trope. They're ruining the wedding trope. But it was so jarring to me. I was like, A, that could kill somebody. Yeah. Like to have a <laughs> high heel hit them at that velocity. And B, it looked like it was going to leave a scar. Like they show you this bride and it looks like she could have a scar from it. And I'm like, are you serious? And then she's like, it's okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, and then Amy yeah. Adams proceeds to spill wine on her dress, which apparently is worse than hitting her with a shoe. 
Right. That <laughs> cat's out of the wedding. There, then it's time to go, oh, you know, um, not getting kicked in the, or, you know, a shoe in the forehead, but the wine on the dress. That's- I, feel, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this movie repeatedly gets romantic and then ruins it by like putting something in like the dream, a little dream song over what could have been a lot of tension. And then this ruining like this jarring physical comedy, I guess it wasn't comedy for me because I was worried about her. Right. Like just when they're warming up, it's like, oh, cold water. <laughs> That's um, how I, I I hear you. I feel like that is a consistent thing. It's just how well is it done and how poorly mm-hmm. is it done. And I think yeah. it was poorly done in this particular. I guess it does happen in a lot of rom-coms. Like you have to put obstacles in the way, but sometimes you can put obstacles that are like totally consistent more. Or yes. like, yeah, yeah exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Like that was so far over the top. The shoe so then, all of a sudden flies off. It, yeah. it didn't fly off when she was climbing a hill, a rocky yeah. hill. It didn't fall <laughs> off when she, all these other things. But when they're dancing all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah. And so then they leave the, the wedding in despair and she's drinking alcohol out of a bottle and she's cl- clearly drunk. And then she does the like sort of confessing some feelings to Declan and almost kisses him before, of course, vomiting on a shoe at the last moment. <laughs> a classic trope, the, mm-hmm. the vomit on the shoe instead of kissing trope. Didn't that happen that in like 10 things I hate about yeah, you? Yeah, They're kind of, yeah. She's looking at him dreamily in the eye and then throws up on his shoe. Yeah. So we've already covered two movies with this trope. Wow. <laughs> if I had time on my hands, like real didn't have to do anything else. I would find every movie with all, I would make the list. I don't really want to do that. I think that would ruin a lot. Listeners, if you have any, send them in. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Somebody else has done it. Tell us. So then they wake up on a park bench together trope. (laughs) And then Amy Adams wakes up first and she like goes away to get something. And then Declan wakes up and he's all alone. And he's like, she has left me behind without saying goodbye trope and then amy ams comes back with coffee trope like bing 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 right in a row right in a row (laughs) yep yep and then um at this point they are taking a bus to do they take the bus yet well we find out why he doesn't like dublin and what happened to him like his sad story we found out her sad story why she's the way she is when they were in the garden and and it's at this point where we find out he was previously in- engaged, right? Yeah. To somebody he was running the pub with, I guess, right? Like, yeah, it sounded like he had partners, his friends, yeah. his girlfriend yeah. and his friend. And then those two ran off together. Yeah. And she still has his Clada ring. Yeah. Yes. So yes. his mother's Clada ring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then um, they're in Dublin And they arrive at the place where she's going to meet Jeremy and they finally took a bus there. Yeah. Like uh, just to let you know what mode of transportation and uh, he is about to kind of confess his love or at least like confess something to her when all of a sudden uh, Jeremy shows up trope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so he leaves, he leaves her to be proposed to by Jeremy. She accepts, which with, with what seems to be some reluctance, but she doesn't show it. And then Declan goes, we see him settling his old business with his ex-fiance. He gets his ring back at the pub. Yay. And you see Declan also fundraising to save his pub. 
good. Like, mm-hmm. cause it mm-hmm. seems like he didn't take any money from her in the end, which to me seems dumb because like his pup is about to get taken over and he did oh, kind of like, her. but, his, but his car is like in a pod still as far as we Right. I mean, like, I don't know. Anyway, if it was that easy all the time, just like fundraising from his like, like, you know, 20 neighbors. Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Anyway. So then, um, like Anna's gone back to Boston with, uh, Jeremy, but like at a party for like, like showing every, their friends, their new apartment, Anna finds out, uh, just because Jeremy's just talking about this casually, that the reason he proposed to her was because the apartment people hinted that they only wanted married people in the apartment. And this really bums Anna out, understandably. It's one thing to not like have a romantic surprise proposal. Like that's fine. Like mutually agreed marriage is what fine, but like to find out that it's like anti-romantic that like somebody married you for an apartment is a bummer. Like figured why not? Let's do it. It was very like to get this apartment. (laughs) Yay. So that is sad. I would say that's sad for her. Um, But we want that to happen because we want her to go get Declan. Yeah. So, and Jeremy, before we meant talk more about the plot really quick, Jeremy is kind of a trope himself. He's the unromantic fiance trope or the unromantic boyfriend trope. So they, he's shown a lot on his phone. Um, he's always showing her pictures of like his cardiology patients, like their surgeries. <laughs> like, Gross. yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I don't, maybe I don't need that. Um, yeah. And then he's really concerned. So, okay. Calling, but we didn't mention this before, but Declan at one point asks Anna, like if your apartment was on fire, your house was on fire, what would you rescue? So um, there's a callback now in the plot where Anna, I guess, pulls the fire alarm for her entire apartment building. <laughs> yeah. First of all, lot. that that fire alarm in that apartment, that's like the fire alarm you see in schools, this yeah. red and yeah. white. I've never seen that in like within anybody's apartment, like maybe Amen. in the hall, but it's right there, like in the kitchen. <laughs> this is a full service apartment, Sophia. Like. <laughs> With the school alarm and she pulls it and everybody leaves and she's just standing there waiting to see what Jeremy's going to take. Yeah. And he's taking all the electronics and the iPad and the thing. And he's like, come yeah. on, baby, grab something and yeah. grab something useful. But Declan useful. has previously said he would get his mother's clutter ring. Like, like that's what he would take. Like, so it's like, you're contrasting this guy who's like super practical, high tech materials with somebody who's super sentimental. Right. Yeah. And she just, and she performs another trope then by just leaving Jeremy behind without saying anything. Right. Well, maybe she said something, but the way the movie's cut, it's like, he's like, Anna, Anna, where'd you right. go? And then yeah, she's she... in Ireland. <laughs> right. She left in that fancy dress that she was you know, wearing. She probably would, though. <laughs> yeah. Another impractical. It's like a like a dress you wear to prom. It's this yeah. gown. I'm like, really? for a... Yeah. And everybody at the party's dressed in gowns. Yeah. I don't have these friends. Right. So then there's the grand, there's the trope of the grand gesture. So in this case, Anna is performing the grand gesture. So I guess instead of like uh, proposing to Jeremy, like she was going to do initially, she is going all the way to Ireland to propose not making plans with Declan. And there's the trope of surprising the person that you've arrived to see by like, I don't know. She says she tells a waiter at his pub that the chicken is dry, knowing that that might get him to come out and be angry. 
And then he's like, who's saying my chicken's dry? And she's like, me. Yeah. It's like, you don't just go up to the person and be like, hey, I came to see you like a normal person would do. No, you've right. got to like make a show. And then this is the stupidest thing in the movie, in my opinion, the next part. The the trope of the happy ending getting delayed at the last minute by a misunderstanding. <laughs> so Anna pours her heart out to him. She's like, like uh, Jeremy and I aren't together anymore. I realize that what I need is actually here. And I just want to not make plans with you. And she makes this really romantic speech. And Declan just walks off without saying anything. Right. Like just walks off. Like who would do that? Right. And then she's like, oh, I guess he dumped me. And she runs out of the pub and she goes and stands on these like beautiful cliffs. And I'm like, is she going to jump? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I yeah. mean, she didn't seem suicidal at all, but I'm like, you're putting a depressed person by cliffs and I'm a depressed person. So my mind goes there. Totally. Oh, step back, step back. Yeah, right. <laughs> that looks then, dangerous. Yeah. And then he follows her and, and he's like, why'd you go away? And it's like, uh, uh hello, brain genius. <laughs> yeah. She went away because you seem to reject her in front of a crowd of, of people. Yeah. Yeah. But what's he do? He yeah, takes he, out the ring, his mother's Claude a ring, and he says, I don't want to not make plans with you. I want to make plans with you and proposes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is phrase. I, I want to make plans with you. I've seen that in another movie too. I don't know which one, but I have. Yeah. yeah. Many tropes. Many and, tropes. And then the lighting was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Fantastically, per, like, tropey but perfect like it's all oh, that's golden hued and i mean uh, that i did enjoy because i'm like there that's why you go to ireland for that and then the cute little old men which probably yeah. the oh the uh, irish people were probably like no probably pissed about that <laughs> yeah i thought yeah. they were kind of cute but also i got that that was kind of thrown in there yeah and then the entire movie has a couple of tropes. Of course, um, it's got the enemies to lovers trope where people start out disliking each other and grow to love each other. It's got the opposites attract trope with the control freak and the laid back person and the trip gone wrong trope. And, and do you think we missed any, Sophia? Can you think of anything we've missed in our <sighs> travails here? Um, the trope where the woman has this great successful career and leaves it all for Ireland. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like, I, what I'm looking for is here, and it's like, really again. Um, well, and for somebody who had no money growing up and had all that, like, I would, I mm. would get my ducks in a row about that. Yeah, and then take off, you know, make sure that there was some nest in there. I don't know. Yeah, like, like as far as she knows, his pub is still like in serious debt, like right, and his car right. is still in the pot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it looks, you know, hopping now, but. There's no guarantee in the in the certain in the food industry. Like I don't know. So anyway, yeah. So um, another thing in this movie that caught my eye, um, which the Irish uh, newspapers did not comment on this, but well, they commented on the superstitions, but not the legend. So there are superstitions laid in throughout the film, but not there's not really much done with them though. To be honest, you know, they're just kind of like people will say talk about the superstitions, but they don't seem to amount to anything. Like. At the beginning of Declan and Anna's journey, a black cat crosses her path and some of the older men in town are like, oh, you can't begin a journey now, which would, would which would uh, indicate that this entire journey and story has been unlucky if they were right. Right. She never should have gotten in the car with Declan. And, um, and then they're also debating what day is the best day to start a journey. I could not find anything on the internet to 
rule on which is actually the best day to start a journey. But there's also a legend at one point. Uh, so they go up to this castle when they're like waiting for the train, the one that makes them miss the train. And um, Declan, and I don't even know why or how this fits into the movie, really. We can talk about that after I explain it. Declan tells Anna about this legend of Dirmud and Gran. I looked up how to pronounce this. So Dirmud and Gran were like these uh, lovers and Gran had been a pr- uh, promised to marry this sort of older man named Fion. And she, instead, she she doesn't want to marry him because he's so much older than her. The evening before her wedding, she meets Dirmud, who's this much younger warrior who's like uh, with with Fion's like, I don't know, company or whatever. And they run off together. And at first, like Dirmud refuses to sleep with Gran because he doesn't want to disrespect Fion. And but eventually he gives in. And in the movie, like Declan's like, and he gave in on this very spot because it was so beautiful. And then Anna accuses him of trying to pick her up by telling her a fake story. But actually, this is a real legend. Apparently, it dates back like it's written down at least back to the 16th century. And some elements of the story date back to the 10th century. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And it said that many Neolithic stones in Ireland have the name Dearmud and Gran's bed uh, oh, gra- wow. engraved on them. Like, because, yeah, this is like a place that they're claiming that they stayed during their travels around Ireland, running away from Fionn. What I don't understand, though, is what's the point of having this in the movie? It didn't really seem to do much. Do you think hmm. it did much? Well, it played into that trope of like, here we are at this beautiful scenic thing and and inspired by the beauty of it. I'm going to tell this legend in this love story that could be us. And I think it is funny that she's like, you're hitting on me. I guess that's it. I think it's because it was in a weird place in the movie. Like maybe if it had been later in the movie, but it's like Declan mm. doesn't actually seem interested in her at that point. Like, I don't think he is trying to hit on her. I don't think he's no. supposed to be interested in her yet. So it's like if that had happened like after they had their like, you know, forced kiss, maybe I would have been like, oh, he is hitting on her. Yay. Uh, uh-huh, but like uh-huh. instead I was like, what? why? Right. <laughs> it's like we know this interesting Irish story, so we're going to tell it. Anyway, I mean, I'm glad it was at least a true story. That was kind of cool to find out. So let's see. Just a couple of random things about the movie. Um, I thought it was interesting that Anna's job is to make living spaces look perfect but it seems like to me symbolic of how her relationship with Jeremy looks perfect from the outside, but it's kind of empty inside. You know what I mean? Yes. I thought that was clever. I thought that was clever. Do you have any other random notes like that you noticed or that we haven't covered plot wise? We're going to talk still about the locations, the music and right. some other things, but uh, no, I don't have any other random things. Okay. So big question that we sometimes ask, is this movie feminist? <laughs> so, I think there's like pros and cons, right? Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that she's kind of taking things in control, you know? I like that she's successful in her own right. Your thoughts? I just think like everything you're saying. Yeah, I think I agree with you. She's she's definitely taking control of her life. And she's successful. But like every one of those things seems to have like an opposing force in the movie. So like she's going to propose to her boyfriend. But then when she goes to do that, Declan's like making fun of her, like saying that it seems desperate. And if your boyfriend had wanted to propose, he would have. And like, I kind of find myself agreeing with him. (laughs) I think you're kind of supposed to kind of agree with him a little bit because you kind of seen Jeremy and you're like, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, probably Jeremy would have said yes, I think, to be honest, but even without the apartment. But yeah, you know, I think you're right. I I could see that. 
So another thing like that was feminist, like you mentioned, she's successful. She's very good at her job. But then, like you also mentioned, at the end of the movie, she gives up her job to just like drop everything and go to Declan. And like I noticed like similar to like in Bell Book and Candle where the wardrobe changes, you know, uh-huh. in, in that episode we talked about that. She shows up wearing this like girly dress and her hair is done in this like kind of young girl style. Yeah. And she's like, but she's still wearing her, you know, traditional open toed sandals and no mm-hmm. coat on a windy day in Ireland. <laughs> But, like, they definitely, like, made her look, like, young and more prim, I guess. Like, not like a businesswoman. And I'm like, "Mm." hmm. Okay, so the the hair thing, I was like, what? What was the – I thought it was a very unusual choice. Kind of strange. And But then later on, I'm like, maybe it was practical, like, to keep her hair out of her face on the windy – like, you wanted to see it for the proposal. And, you know, she didn't want to be – Butsing around, keeping her hair out of her face in this very romantic moment. Good, good spotting. Good spotting. So that might have been a practical choice on the yeah. part of like hair and makeup and wardrobe. Well, definitely not wardrobe, but um, and like actor being like, I yeah, you're right. I think you're right about that. So good spotting on that one. Yeah. Sometimes it's just practical. And then like another thing is she's very assertive character and she's like always asking for what she wants, like trying to get her trip underway, trying to get those people to get her on a plane, trying to get those people to get her on the boat. But it's like really played as like she's just a rude or foolish or both. I think she'd probably be called a Karen these days. Like, you know, they'd probably be right. No, she's like, you know, berating these customer service employees, not really berating them, but she's asking them to do unreasonable things. So Mm -hmm. like, It's like her assertiveness is not played as really a positive. I don't think very often in the movie, it's more often shown to be, is she stupid? Like, why is she trying to like, you know, get a plane or a boat in a storm kind of thing? Right. Yeah. Or why is she demanding things of these pub owners like that she just met? Right. And that makes me sad. Like, because what's wrong with asking for what you want and need and without it being thought that, you know, you're being rude and foolish and whatever, you know, bummer. The other thing I really noticed is that she has a best friend character, but it's like such a weak, thin character that you don't really care about and just seems kind of sad. Like her best friend is this like status obsessed person. And, and like, she's just like, Oh, I wish I had your apartment. I want to throw you out and move in myself. Like in my, I think my, um, my new headcanon for this, this is a term they use in the, the fanfic world headcanon is like the story you've made up that you've decided is what really happens in my new headcanon that lady like like leaves whoever she's with if she's with someone to to get jeremy after anna's gone oh yeah <laughs> so she can live in the apartment that's the t- <laughs> ah. I can see that yeah anyway so one of the things we both liked about the movie were the beautiful Irish locations and the ones named in the movie are, are rarely the same thing as what they are in reality Dingle is what is mentioned as Declan's uh, pub location in the movie, but that it is not shot in Dingle. As best as I can find out from different, from looking at the IMDb locations, plus a couple articles, it is in a place called Inishmore in the Aran Islands. And the pub is supposedly set in the village of Kilmurdy. So if you want to visit those sites, that is apparently where to find them. The castle where they go to look at from the train station and he tells her the legend is not an actual castle, sadly. Um, It's called Ballycarbury Castle in the movie. Some website said that there is a Ballycarbury Castle, but it's not like at all resembling that one or having any legend attached to it. But this is not a real castle. 
As best as I could find out, people said it's a combination of the rock of Dunamaze and CGI, and mostly CGI, really. <laughs> but the rock of Dunamaze is supposed to be pretty cool to look at. And um, supposedly they're in Tipperary. I did not find out what subbed in for that, but I do not think it's Tipperary. From the, It didn't seem to show up in the IMDb locations. And the wedding scene is the most beautiful scene, I would say. What do you think? Yeah, you- very pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was shot in County Wicklow in a place called Glendalock, which means Valley of the Two Lakes. And it's like set near one of the lakes and you see the beautiful mountains rising in the distance. And that is just such a gorgeous place. If I were to go to Ireland, I think that would be like number one on like the kind of places I would like to go Mm -hmm. personally. And later they're shown in some scenes in Dublin. So they're walking in a place called St. Stephen's Green at one point. And let's see the other Dublin scenes, Temple Bar is apparently where Declan's ex returns the ring. And then the hotel that's supposed to be in Dublin is actually called the Carton House, and it is in Maynooth, County Kildare. And it's a historic house built in the 17th century. So that's not in Dublin. But yeah, those are just some of the places. And then finally, the proposal scene, it's apparently it's back in Inishmore. There was some like conflicting information online, but the most reliable stuff seemed to say Inishmore. And the cliff area is Dun Angusa. I think I'm pronouncing that right. That's the Aran Islands again. So I got to go to Dublin. I was there for like a weekend. Yes. When I studied abroad in London, my second semester of my junior year of college, three of us flew over to Dublin and met our other college friend who was studying in um, Derry, Northern Ireland. Nice. So we met in Dublin for the weekend and okay, talk about not prepared travelers. Um, We did not know that there was a big football match happening. So like all the hostels were booked and we were able to get a hostel way out of city center. I think we had to split up and not be in the same rooms for like one night. And then the second night we had to just stay up all night in the waiting area of our friend's hostel that she was staying at in Dublin. (laughs) So that sucked. (laughs) Everybody needs one of those stories in their life. Oh, jeez. I was 20. So, you know, I could handle it. Now I'd be like, I'm dying. Um, I once I once slept in a gazebo in a park in Seoul with a bunch of my friends because we couldn't find some place to stay when we come in on this early train. And like apparently the Koreans were came and asked our Korean friend like if we were homeless or something. Or <laughs> but everybody needs a story like that. Anyway, tangent. That's my one. That's my one. So when you're in Dublin, you can go to the Guinness storehouse like we did and take a tour of the brewery. And then at the end, uh, you got a pint. Now, I don't like beer and I don't like Guinness. Oh, really? So no. Um, but I heard that the Guinness is better at the in Ireland. Is that so, would you say, or do you not have a basis to compare? I don't have a basis to con- compare, but that's what I've heard as well. Okay. Like It loses something being canned and transported across. It's just not the same. But that was a lot of fun. There's also the Jameson Distillery. I did not go, but I just saw that while I was like researching things to do. I did go to Dublin Writers Museum because Samuel Beckett is obviously Irish. And um, that's what I was who I was most interested in. And I thought like there was maybe like Beckett's house or something. It wasn't. It was this writers museum. And it has things like Beckett's phone. And um, it has Bram Stoker, maybe like a first edition of uh, Dracula. What? And, yeah, girl. 
Yeah. And like something of Yeats and something of Oscar Wilde and something of Swift. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was cool. I have a gigantic photograph of Trinity College. Wish I had known about the Book of Kells mm. because it's housed in the old library at Trinity College. And that is a huge historical illuminated text, which I have gotten to see illuminated text in other museums and stunning. I also thought about legends of Selkies in Ireland. And so I was wondering if there was some kind of like Selkie museum or whatever. Well, there's the Leprechaun Museum in Dublin that also talks about (laughs) fairies and Selkies and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Nice. So that's Dublin. And there's a ton of other like national museums and what have you. And then countryside, I didn't get into so much detail, but there's like the Cliffs of more, I guess that's how you say it. M-O-H-E-R. And definitely there, but also other areas of the island. Uh, you can, as per Bird Watching Ireland, we'll have a link in the show notes where you can see um, puffins. So I have a buddy who lives in New York and he travels a lot and he and his wife we're in Ireland and he's got all these pictures of these little puffins. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're adorable. So Greg also studied abroad in London and he and his cohorts that he was with, they took a, a like a four or five day, 15 passenger van tour of the con- some countryside oh. of Ireland. And Greg didn't want to go. He was like, ah, Ireland, whatever. And he goes, I loved it. It was the best trip ever and it was beautiful. And well, 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 what was it? And he's like, you know, it just, it was just magical. You know, he doesn't say things like that often. He's like, it's just a feeling. So those are things to be done. There's the Balarney Castle and Gardens, where the home of the Balarney Stone, where you, you know, have somebody hold you upside down and you kiss the rock and something <laughs> happens, good luck or something. I don't know. But if you have, Big dollars. I have recently watched Murder on the Orient Express, the Kenneth Branagh edition. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we, I want to travel by train. I'm obsessed. And there nice. is one a fancy pants, like extravaganza train experience that you can do through Ireland. Fine. It looks, I mean, but it's like one of the cheap versions was like $4,000 per person. Oh my goodness. Onwards up to $11,000 per person. I mean, it's just like, oh I don't know who does that. So those were some of my, you can do while you're in Ireland and there's tons more. And that was just like Ireland. And then there's Northern Ireland that has like a yeah. Titanic museum and all kinds of other stuff. Well, um, thanks for looking into all that and sharing your travel stories. Oh, well. I mean, I was there for a weekend, pretty much just in Dublin and did a couple touristy things and I still really loved it. So I would go back. So like one more thing, um, just wanted to mention some of the music that was in the movie. So there's not as much Irish music as you would expect in a movie, mostly set in Ireland. But at one point you see Declan is setting off on the journey with Anna and he's playing Within a Mile of Home by Floggy Molly is on his tape deck. And she does not like that. And uh, eventually she ends up throwing his tape out the window, which he does not like. (laughs) So, but I recognize that band. Um, I had a roommate who used to play them all the time. Have you ever listened to that band? No, but I liked it. I'm like, ooh. And then at the wedding, there's a real band that plays, as we see in many rom-coms. It is called The Colonials featuring Candace Gordon. So if you're interested in who is playing at the wedding, that is the name of that band. 
And yeah, and let's let's get on to our favorite and least favorite scenes, unless you want to add anything else about the, the music. Nothing else to say about the music. So um, do you have any favorite or least favorite scenes from the movie? I, I think we like the same. Okay, um, well, that's okay. We can You can talk about yeah. it first. When they, um, the train station agent takes them back to his house, which also is an, as a and b where they have to pose as married people. First of all, it's a beautiful cottage. And yeah, I like the scene where she kind of takes her hair down and she's in this sweet little like peasant top and her jeans and they're in the garden. And yes, the cooking scene had beautiful lighting and it looked like they were having genuine fun like Mm -hmm. all the you know i hate you bitterness wasn't there and it was lovely and and they set the table and it it was very sweet and pretty that scene yeah i agree the whole that whole section was my favorite and you got some of the most real dialogue out of that section too any least favorite scene the whole rest of the movie (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, i have to ask after she's the man what would you rate this movie (laughs) Um, I, I think I would still watch leap year before she's the man, but what would you rate it out of five? What did I rate? She's the man like point. Uh, You you started at (laughs) 1.5 and then eventually you took off an entire star and gave it 0.5 during the podcast, during the course of the podcast. (laughs) Um, I would give this a one. What? Maybe you give Leap Year a one? Oh my Maybe God. Maybe two. Two, two, because I, mm, two and a half, because I love the scenery and um, I that sweet, this sweet scene that we've discussed. See, I would give it, even still, like, even though it's kind of disintegrated a little for me, I would still give it a, either a 2.5 or a three. And okay. because three for me is like, it's serviceable. It's average. It's, you know, it's like, I feel like it's kind of in the middle of the genre. I've seen a lot worse. I've seen a lot right. better. Okay. You know what I mean? Fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I may scale rom-coms a little differently against each other than I would against general movies. So if it's against like all movies, maybe 2.5, but if it's against other rom-coms three, and it's not to say that I don't think rom-coms are great, but I think that there are people who push them out for money more than there are with dramas, for example. But you know what I mean? Like genres where like, you're not really churning them out as money makers as much. But when you have horror or rom-coms or sci-fi, they tend to be genre pictures that get churned out. So I scale them a little differently against each other. That's all. Quite the system. <laughs> so, so the rest of the movie is your least favorite scene. <laughs> See, I think most of the scenes, I'm like, I'm pretty okay with them. And But the scene that is my least favorite is when she hits the bride's head with her shoe because I was traumatized by them. Like, that bride could die. Or like, mm-hmm. she could have a concussion. Like, I still kind of worry about this fictional character. <laughs> A minor fictional character in this movie. I'm like, is she going to have that scar her whole life? Like, I'm oh. concerned. Oh, Jen. <laughs> yeah. And then all the interactions with her, Anna's supposed friend character are so, uh, I'm just like, uh, it's such a shallow characterization. She was there just like a throwaway character. Just like you said, like all the Irish people commenting are throwaway characters. Her dad's almost a throwaway character. Yeah. It's really like- only three characters that matter in this movie. Yeah, and they could have done more with that. Like she has nobody. Like could maybe she could have called her dad. I'm like dad. Yeah. I came for the leap year and it's not working out. You know, something to have like some yeah, friend, some yeah. kind of something. Or they could have shown the wedding and her dad shows up at the wedding or something. You know, something. I don't know. So, another big question, will Anna and Declan last? What what will happen in your and when your estimation, what do you think would happen? I didn't think that far. Tell me your thoughts. 
Oddly, I think they might. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's big partly. I think they might last because Anna is like really determined. Like, Mm. and once she's determined to do something, I think she's going to stay on that path until she's like pushed off of it. So I think she's going to make this marriage last. Although I don't know what she would do for a career, like, or money, to be honest. Like, I don't know. Is this pub going to be magically solvent enough so that she can like stay home with kids or like, you know, where is she going to get a job like remotely similar to staging apartments? I guess one thing, okay, one thing she could do is she could super hyper market the B&B aspect because she staged apartments. So maybe she could like super design the B&B and they could add like additions and she could like get it on travel websites and like totally bring a whole tourism industry to this area. So yeah, I guess she could do something. Oh, I like that. That's nice. Because I- My gut was like, they do last, but how and what do they do? Where do they live? Yeah. And my gosh, I didn't even think if they had kids or not. Right. Oh, I like your, I like your storyline. That feels good. That feels good and satisfying. Yes. We'll we'll go with that. Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) And I think Declan just wants to settle down with someone. You know, I think he's like, he's ready. So yeah. Yeah. Like if he's at the point where he's going to like propose to someone, he's going to stay with them, I think. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we're not sure about the movie, but we think they'll last. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so that are brings romantics us- or something? I don't know. We, we are. You say are. you are. Am I? I don't know anymore. Am I? I think I you must are. be. Okay, that's good. I like that. I want. <laughs> I like that. I want to keep that. So that brings us to our double feature recommendations. This is the last section of the show. We will tell you things we recommend to watch with Leap Year as double features. And my first one I'm really excited to talk about is the Chasing Liberty, which we mentioned earlier, which is the early Matthew Good rom-com. He appears in that one with Mandy Moore, and she was fantastic in that. And they had great chemistry. Oh, my God. Matthew Good was, like, very hot in that movie. He was younger. He he was more clean cut. He's using his regular real accent. And, man, it's, it's, like, it's a similar movie in that, like, there's a lot of traveling and traveling gone awry. Like we mentioned, a lot of the same tropes appear in that movie. They have really good chemistry, though. And you get to travel not just in like one country, but you get to travel in several countries in Europe. So I was having a very vicarious travel moment watching that movie. So, yeah, I totally recommend it. Uh, I can't remember where it's streaming right now. We'll tell you on next Monday's Now Streaming if you don't want to go look for yourself. But it's totally worth watching, in my opinion. So that's my first recommendation. Uh, My first recommendation is Waking the Divine, which I do recommend in our now streaming for this week because, you know, there was so much backlash from Irish folks about this film, Leap Year, being just, you know, cliches and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think Waking the Divine, I mean, it's it's a fictional small town, but it is filmed in Ireland and it's all Irish actors and I think very, very funny. Um, There's a little bit of romantic story between some, a younger couple, but if you want maybe a little more authentic Irish sense, that's the way to go. Cool. So my second recommendation would be romancing the stone, which we're going to cover later in the travel series, because there are so many plot parallels. The main one being paying somebody to uh, guide you around a country that is foreign to you. But romancing the stone is one of my all time favorite romantic comedies. It is done so well. The writing is so good. And Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas have amazing chemistry. And it's kind of 
unfortunately, the better version of Leap Year. So I think most people would like Romancing the Stone more. But, you know, it'd still be fun to watch them together, I think. Um, Romancing the Stone is set in South America rather than Europe. So a little bit different location, too. My next pick is The Quiet Man. Oh, I love The Quiet Man. John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. He plays a, a boxer with a secret, with a sordid past, who comes to Ireland to like settle down and get away from all that past. And uh, he sees a shepherdess in the meadow. And it's Maureen O'Hara with beautifully backlit. And it goes on from there. Like, how does he get to court her? And he has to deal with her brother. And it's it's so charming. It's just a classic. And if you haven't seen it, hop on that. I saw it a long time ago. So yeah. Did you like it? I liked it at the time. I feel like I remember there being like, was there like some scene where he's dragging her across the ground or something? Yep. Yep. (sighs) At the end. Yep. Uh, It's a, there's a definitely some datedness in that. Um, I can watch things that are dated. Like I I'm fine putting things in their historical context and like being like, well, we don't do that anymore, but yeah. yeah. Right. And Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne have great chemistry. Talk about great chemistry. I love Maureen O'Hara. So yeah, she's yeah. great. And so my next recommendation is The Decoy Bride. And I saw this one recently. It's set in Scotland instead of Ireland, but it's set in a really small town in Scotland. And in this case, there's a woman who lives in the small town in Scotland. And there's a man who comes from the city with his fiance, who's a very famous actress. And they're trying to get married in secret away from the paparazzi. So the pl- the premise is that they need to find a fake bride to like kind of throw the paparazzi off the trail. So they recruit this woman who is a native of the small Scottish town. And she and the guy that, you know, is getting married, they kind of clash. And it's again, like an enemies to lovers kind of trope. And it's, it's, it's also, you know, since it's set in a kind of remote area in the UK, I thought it was kind of similar and interesting. Yeah. I saw it. I enjoyed it a lot. Okay, uh, I recommend P.S. I Love You. Originally a book written by an Irish author, all set in Ireland. The movie brought it to New York, but still has like Irish roots and themes. And Holly, the main woman, she's married to an Irish fellow. And uh, some sad circumstances happen. And there's these series of letters that take her to Ireland. And so there's some pretty Irish countryside and you get a flashback of to how they met and when they met in Ireland and, and it's good. So um, my next recommendation is far and away. And I'm sure Irish people probably hate this movie too, but I love this movie. It's the Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman movie directed by Ron Howard, which is supposed to be like the story of how his grandparents met, or maybe it was his great grandparents, but anyway um, it's set in Ireland and Tom Cruise plays like a kind of, like a peasant or like just poor person in Ireland. And Nicole Kidman plays like a rich like daughter of landowners. And she wants to escape from her, you know, kind of upper class life. And so she and Tom Cruise go together to America and I believe Boston actually. And it shows the, the rough immigrant life that a lot of people had to live in who are Irish immigrants And it eventually goes all across America. It's a very broad, sweeping story. And the reason I would recommend it as a double feature, although it's quite long, so you might just want to watch it on its own, is that it shows a lot of beautiful Irish scenery. um, And it also just, I don't know, it's a great romance, I think. Like as much as like 
the real life story of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman is kind of odd. Like I can forget about that in the movie. They just give really good performances. So yeah. It is a good one. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, my second one. Okay. It is, it's kind of a cheat, Jen. I don't think it has any romance and it's not funny <laughs> at all. And it's an animation. It's the That's secret okay. of Kells. And, um, it is about the book of Kells and its creation and it, and it's beautifully animated. And so kind of more cheating in what I recommend here, everything by Tom Moore, including puff and rock, which is on streaming on Netflix. It's a great, sweet cartoon. Um, and the song of the sea, which is, um, about a selkie. So, um, all animated, all beautiful. I highly recommend. Nice. And then my final uh, recommendation is another uh, Amy Adams movie. And I'm not trying to recommend like her most critically acclaimed movie. I just want to recommend something that's also kind of like a fun movie, which feels like a rom-com, but isn't a rom-com, which is Mm -hmm. Julie and Julia, where she plays the woman who sets out to cook every Julia child recipe in a year. And it's just, for me, it was such a fun movie. And you've also got the parallel performance with Meryl Streep playing Julia child and showing her story. And so you get to learn about Julia Child. You get to see all this great food. And just, I think it's a similar Amy Adams performance, kind of light and fun and interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My last one is The Commitments. This is fantastic. This is, again, uh, this is set in Dublin. This is all Irish performers. um, And it's about this guy who's kind of jobless and on the down and outs, but he gets his friends together to make a band and, and they sing all kinds of um, blues. I think it is. It's hilarious. And it is uh salt of the earth, Irishmen and Irish women in Dublin. Fantastic. Yeah. So you can hear about where to stream some of these double feature recommendations on our next edition of now streaming. And you can always find us at every Please send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And uh, also you can follow us on social media, uh, Every Romcom podcast and blog on Facebook, at Every Romcom on Instagram, and at Every Romcom pod on Twitter. And yes, like, thank you for joining us today. It's been great. Take care. Bye. Bye.